Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week, a special bonus podcast episode, which is the recording of a webinar that I did with property management training guru, Haley Mitchell. It was all about residential tenancies and everything you need to know during the pandemic. Obviously, there are some changes to the Residential Tenancies Act, which are coming, and some major changes that were initiated by the government as part of the response to the pandemic, such as the moratorium on eviction and things like that. Haley is a property management trainer, trainer and consultant. She's a regular media commentator across print and radio and twice REIV property manager of the year. We, we have a look at what we can do about tenants that are not paying rent, what happens if our tenants do or don't want to vacate, what financial support there is available for yourself as a landlord and tenants, and how rental increases and reductions are handled with a Q&A as well. I think it's definitely worth putting out to the audience some great advice from Haley in managing your investment properties throughout the crisis. Here's Haley. Hello and welcome to our webinar on residential tenancies and everything that you need to know uh, during the pandemic. We've got a special guest, Haley Mitchell, who's a property management guru. We'll go into her bio in a second, but just quickly, hello. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. This is, a, this is a big topic and, and, of course, at times like we're in at the moment, and I'm going to try not to use the word unprecedented because everyone's sick of it, of course, yep. but people are worried. The media is um, coming up with a new doom and gloom story every day. So our, our role, I guess, um, as we see it, is to put investors in front of experts such as yourself to help them navigate the situation. And yep. so we're going to do that tonight. Um, I'll just jump into the slides here here for a second. Um, so Haley is a property management trainer and consultant, director of Geelong Property Managers, uh, partner of Real Estate Agency in Melbourne as well. She's all across media, print, radio, absolute media darling, uh, property manager of the year, two times, elite agents, industry influencer, admin for the largest property management group, that would, that would be a hoot. There'd be a lot of stuff going on in there. <laughs> My favourite part-time unpaid job. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And um, obviously a real estate agent or licensed real estate agent and property investor in her own right. Um, so just to let you know what we're going to cover off tonight is what can we do about tenants uh, paying rent or not paying rent, as it were? Um, what happens if our tenants uh, do or don't want to vacate? What financial support is there available for you and tenants? And of course, navigating the legislation changes that came through to residential tenancies uh, during the pandemic. We're going to look at rental increases and reductions, how they're handled, and that'll then we'll move into your chance um, to ask some questions. We've had some questions submitted and some case uh, studies as well. Um, but to kick us off, um, Haley, in terms of the legislation changes that came in um, during the pandemic, the government was pretty quick to, to jump onto that. What was the special legislation that was passed during the, the pandemic? So they did pass the legislation. We were waiting for it. And I think when ScoMo first announced what was going to happen with the um, rents, uh, he kind of made the announcement, which is a little bit flippant during one of his press conferences. And it was, um, uh, if you can't pay your rent, you won't be evicted. Right? So right. As soon as that announcement was made the next day, what do you think happened? We were bombarded by phone calls from people saying, I can't pay my rent and you can't evict me. So it was really interesting times for us. And then we had to wait for the legislation. So until we actually got the legislation a couple of weeks later, we're, we're just kind of treading water and saying to people, until we get the legislation, we really can't give you an answer how this is all going to play out. Um, once we got the legislation, um, I'll just say at the beginning, I actually really enjoy legislation. So I'm one of these people which gets a 500-page document and I'll sit there for two weeks and I'll make notes and, I'll, and that is fun, right? So I've got I have to say, you're on the right <laughs> webinar for that. So I got the COVID legislation, I locked myself away and I read it and I interpreted it and I understood it and I went, okay, I've got the legislation. Now I need the regulations because you can't work out 
all of the intricacies in legislation until you get regulations that go alongside it. We don't have to wait a couple of weeks for the regulations. So we're trying to go ahead based on what we knew in the legislation and then CAV's coming back going, no, you've actually got to do this. And we're like, but that's not how the legislation reads. But they obviously had the regulations and we didn't. So we were treading in this really grey, confusing zone for, for pretty much about three weeks. Once we got the regulations, we went, ah, we get it, we understand, now we know what process we have to follow. So I think in the beginning, the way it was rolled out was um, really difficult for us. And I think there was a real disconnect between what was announced and what we were actually given. And a lot of people obviously came to property managers and tenants came to us and landlords came to us, but we didn't have answers. Uh, no one did and that was really uh, quite difficult but I, I kind of feel now that everyone's got into a groove we know what's going on we know how it all plays out and also in the beginning all those tenants that rang up and said hey I can't pay my rent um, when we actually had some clarity around what that meant it actually meant that if you can pay your rent you should pay your rent if you can't pay your rent, you're suffering hardship, you need to come back to us and work through the process, which we then had clarity on. So, yeah, it was fun times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine there'd be some uh, the uh, the government's advisors listening to Scott Morrison on the fly saying, if you, if you can't pay your rent, then we're not going to kick around the shop. <laughs> Another late night <laughs> in the office. But... Just with with respect to that um, legislation, we had obviously the eviction moratorium, but there's guidance on rental relief, uh, rental increase suspension, so landlords not being able to increase the rent um, and a framework for dispute resolution. Um, full disclosure, your expertise is, of course, um, more Victoria-centric than any other state, but obviously you're, you're across it all fairly well, except those those cowboys in WA. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we asked, I guess, being a little bit more yep. Victorian-centric um, here, but of those kind of pillars, can you run us through how that actually yeah, works? Yeah, so uh, I'll start with rent increases. So any uh, rent increases are banned for six months, basically. So yep. from March to September. So basically all this legislation I'm gonna go through tonight is automatically repealed as of the end of September. It's only in for a six month period. Um, so right. we've got clarity around that, that's great. With rent increases, say you increased a rent back in February and you had to give the tenant 60 days notice of rent increase, it therefore wouldn't kick in till May. So they were also banned. So even if you served a rent increase prior to COVID hitting, but it fell during that six month period, it would be void, okay? So that was something okay. that was um, a little bit of confusion for people. People thought, yeah, okay, you can't serve a rent increase for six months, but if it's already served, it's valid. It's not. So they totally disappeared for six months. So it had to be actually in place. It had to be they were paying the rent as at the date of that yeah, legislation? Yeah, prior to, yeah. Prior to, yeah. And we just had a, a question from a gentleman uh, whose name I will mispronounce almost certainly, for which I apologise in advance. <laughs> Uh, Guillermo, I believe, has asked, um, can you clarify the name of the Act and the regulations that you're actually referring to? It's what, what the are they omb Omnibus. <laughs> Where is it? It's on one of my slides. Actually, actually, I have... Here's something I um, prepared yeah. earlier. Omnibus. Uh, here we are. Yeah, the COVID-19. The COVID-19 Omnibus Emergency Measures Act 2020. Yeah, now, that is it. a title. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was passed to Parliament 23rd of April and it was backdated to the 29th of March. So it's automatically repealed six months yep. from that date. Um, we did wait yep. for those regulations that turned up, which was great. Uh, the other part of this was we were obviously due to have a massive change in our legislation and that was meant to take place from the 1st of July 2020. They then postponed that to a date no later than the 1st of January 2021. And there's 130 changes right. coming to the current Residential Tenancies Act. So the current Reg Residential Tenancies Act has been in place since 1997. Um, we had 130 changes due to come 1st of July. That's been postponed. However, 
with those wow. being postponed, there's a whole lot of them that have actually snuck in with the COVID-19 um, Emergency Measures Act. So that's, uh, there's probably about 20 that have come in early anyway. So we're not going to be hit with 130 right on the 1st of January 2021. They are going to filter through slowly and some of them are already in. Yeah, okay, excellent. Well, um, we, we'll dive into some of the, the changes that are coming up in that, but can you tell us the process an investor has to follow if a tenant is declaring hardship? What, what yeah, do they need to do? Yeah, this was really interesting in the beginning because we had no clarity around what hardship was. And hardship's going to obviously be different for everyone. And then when we got the regulations, it made it really clear that if anyone is spending more than 30% of their gross income on rent, that is considered to be rental hardship. So if you have a tenant right. who is paying, you know, 20% of their income on rent and they want to negotiate, yeah, they want to negotiate a rent decrease um, with you, you actually don't have to negotiate on that because they're not paying 30% of their income on rent. However, if a tenant is paying 50% of their income on rent, we have to try and bridge a gap between that 30% that they top end that they should be paying and that 50% mark. So it is an expectation that a landlord will enter into negotiations with that tenant to try and bridge a gap for their hardship. But what we have to also bear in mind is a lot of landlords are suffering hardship too. So they might have lost their jobs. Yeah. They might not be in a position where they can offer the level of, of um, support to the tenant that they need. So um, the first step is everyone has to negotiate in good faith. And that's, that's what ScoMo was saying when he said, just sit down, have a coffee and talk about it. Well, not exactly the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a legal background, does he? It doesn't. At least a lot of politicians do. I know, like Julia yeah. Gillard and Malcolm Turnbull, no. but it doesn't sound like no. from that comment he has a so legal background. When tenants came forward <clears throat> with us, we've just got a pro forma type spreadsheet that we fill out all the information, and it works out um, how much rent they're basically paying. Uh, and from there, we know how much we kind of need to play with. Um, it doesn't mean that an owner has to bridge that whole gap between the 50% of the income and the 30%. You know, they don't have to meet the whole way, but if they can bridge right. a little bit, then that is what's expected. So if we negotiate with a tenant, we get it yep. dealt with and the tenant agrees and we agree, we then hop on Consumer Affairs website and we lodge it with Consumer Affairs. So once we lodge a rental reduction with Consumer Affairs, we can then move forward to try and get some rent relief for the tenant with a rent relief grant and also some stamp duty um, relief for the owner as well. But we've got to agree to a reduction in rent first in order to do that. Now, there's a difference right. too between what is a reduction of rent and what is a deferment. So a lot of owners have liked or preferred to have a deferment, which I completely understand because it means that, you know, six months time, you'll actually get your rent. Whereas consumer affairs and the government does want to see that we enter into rent reductions rather than deferments because they don't want to see that the tenant ends up with a debt situation at the end of a pandemic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And and with respect to that income test, is that based on the household yeah, income family or the individual? Income. Yeah. Yep. Okay. There you go, Peter. <laughs> Peter's asked that one. Um, so in in mm -hmm. in terms of the process, you've helped us um, by putting yep. a, a slide together. So how how much kind of legal structure is there to this? I mean, we're using words like faith and sit down and you know. Have a have a coffee, but if if it is a yeah. demonstrated hardship, then what's compelling you to to you know come to that negotiating table? You you actually have to show that you've reached some agreement, otherwise it'll go to a to a mm. I guess a yeah. There's like mediation five steps process. It. So first of all, you try and agree to it. Um, if you do agree, you lodge it with CAV. If you can't agree, then you put it forward to Consumer Affairs and they'll organise mediation. If mediation doesn't work, you go to a second level mediation, um, which is with the, um, it's, I wrote it somewhere. <laughs> there you go. 
There we go. I was on the wrong to reach there. a Here reproduction agreement. The if you still don't agree, then you can go to the Chief Dispute Resolution Officer and they can create a binding order. So um, basically that's the way it works. It is a quite a long process. So we've got a rent roll in Geelong and we've got around 250 managements and we've only got two tenants which are on rent relief, which is a registered uh, rent relief with Consumer Affairs Victoria. So we've got, I think we probably had about 10 or 15 tenants ring up the day that ScoMo said don't pay rent. <laughs> and we sort of kept a tally of everyone and just said, look, when we get further clarity from government, we will come back to you and let you know what is what we can do um, and we said to them if you can pay your rent do pay your rent if you can't pay your rent that's it like pay what you can and we'll get back to you and then we were able to keep yep. informed with them and when we actually had clarity from government and went back to them with what um, rental hardship is and what the process would be most of them just said oh actually we'll just keep paying rent so um, and then we had two who was who yep. are legitimately in um, hardship and the owners have agreed to do a deduction there so that's fine yep. and and i just want to put a, a poll out to people that are on tonight um have you had a, a tenant declare um hardship or request a reduction i'd be interested to hear the thoughts from from people that are on tonight um your percentage of of you know two people on your 250 is that i know you're plugged into a lot of property managers around the country is is that unusually low is that the funny typical? thing is regional areas and and um areas that are just not in a city have actually been not too bad uh the city areas massive problems right. um i've got a client that i'm working with at the moment in docklands and they've got a, a significant portfolio and a lot of their tenants who are international students as soon as the call went out to go home, they went home. So we've got a glut of apartments sitting there and some of them yeah. have said, oh, we'll be back, so we'll just keep paying rent. Well, now they're overseas, they know they're not coming back. So now that we've got apartments full of furniture where tenants are overseas and no longer communicating. Um, and, you know, technically, can you evict them? Can't you evict them? Like, where are you at? So there's a lot of people that have had a lot of uncertainty with those things. Um, I know another agency in Melbourne, he's got 450 managements. He's got 100 rent relief. So 100 registered tenants on rent relief. Uh, wow. So not sure what his demographic is, but I would say that if you think about the people who are affected by COVID, that's, you know, the, the people you know that are affected, that's probably what his portfolio is. So yeah. we're, we're, we're doing quite well. Yeah, yeah. wow, that is... That, that's that's yeah. an incredible amount. So I guess it's it's an area that has a high exposure yeah. to hospitality yeah. or retail travel, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So um, in in with respect to the poll, we've actually had um, sixty four percent of people have had a tenant declare hardship or or request a reduction. A anecdotally. Um, are you finding that there are people that are sort of trying it on um, yep. just because, you know, why not yep. have a go if you can pay a little bit less rent? Um, of course, with your framework that you've set up, you have to run through the questions and then they're going to go, oh, like I thought it was, um, I thought it was going to be easier than this. But like, do, do you have to show pay slips? Do you have to get a letter from your yep. employer? Like what what is the... What is the sort of impetus on the on the? Yeah, they definitely have to prove it. So there's not really any written rules around what proof you need. Um, CAV suggested that it could be a separation letter if they've been made unemployed or an application to Centrelink if they've applied for relief. Um, uh, but pay slips yep. as well can be another one. Um, but they haven't actually really said exactly the bits and pieces you can ask for, but you can. You can kind of ask for the same information that you would ask for in the initial application stage of a tenancy. So it could be a letter from the employer because a lot of people right, okay. have kept their jobs but they're on reduced hours. Or they've, you know, kept their jobs but they're a corporate role yep. so they've taken a 25% pay cut, for example. So just getting that sort of evidence yes. through to back up your claims and then getting copies of pay slips as well can be really helpful. 
Yep, and um, Nirvana has, has said the COVID-19 regulation doesn't provide the landlord or does not provide the landlord any role in determining a tenant's COVID-19 status. Example, an impacted tenant does not need to prove the tenant's COVID-19 impacted to the satisfaction of the landlord. Please advise if this statement is correct. I guess we're talking about impacted by yes. hardship rather than <laughs> impacting the virus. Yeah, there's itself. no written rules about what you can and can't ask for or provide. So, but each party has to act in good faith with each other and negotiate clearly and honestly and transparent as possible. So um, if they're not willing to provide the information mm -hmm. for you to make a, uh, I guess, determination, then I would say, I'm sorry, I can't negotiate with you. If you're not willing to provide me with information, then I'm, I can't yeah. negotiate with you and we will have to refer the matter to mediation at Consumer Affairs Victoria. And I would always then push back to Consumer Affairs because I want to act in good faith and I'll help anyone if they're in legitimate hardship, but I need to make sure that they are before we can move forward. Yeah. And I think that's probably why we've got really low stats as well because we've had that really open, transparent conversation with people and said, we are more than happy to chat to you and help you, but you need to also work alongside us so that we can do it as a team. Um, and we've found that most yeah. people have been really good. Yeah. Is, is the balance, have they got the balance right between, I guess, protecting the tenants who have legitimate hardship and, um, I, this is not a question that you probably expected or wanted me to ask, mm -hmm. um, but you know, for the record, Hayley Mitchell says, um, have we, fa has the government yes. favoured the, the tenant and forgotten about the sort so, of financial yes. hardships of the landlord? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Right. Um, I own a couple of properties in Fitzroy. Uh, they're actually little studio apartments and um, we had them leased out for long-term rental for a long time. And last year we decided to pop them on Airbnb. So they've been going really, really well until COVID mm -hmm. hit. <laughs> when COVID hit, Airbnb stopped. Um, so a couple of things with those apartments, I could get the state revenue, the tax, um, land tax deduction, reduction um, of 25% on those properties because they were currently vacant and I've really struggled to find a tenant on those properties because all of a sudden everyone that had their property on Airbnb has come back to the long-term rental market. So that's providing another glut of apartments. So those apartments, I think I got yeah. about $75 an apartment for my 25% land tax relief because there's not land, they're apartments. Right. There's, you know, they, they're cheap. So yes. then what I've done is I've put them on the long-term rental market, but I've had to drop the rent down by about 15% in order to get a tenant. So that's 15% on what I was getting on long-term yep. rental prior. So I'm losing about, you know, couple of hundred bucks a week on rent and all I get back is my little land tax and it's the same with other owners as well if you've got to yeah. drop down your rent by you know a hundred dollars a week for example how much land tax benefit do you get and yes we can ask for the banks to do us a favor and pop the mortgage on hold for a little while but popping a mortgage on hold doesn't mean you don't pay that money it just means it gets stacked to the end of the loan yeah. um, so I, I think that there hasn't been enough done for landlords um, because if they expect us to negotiate yep. with a tenant, then what are they getting back out of it? And I just don't think there's enough there because most landlords are my par landlords as well. They're not rich people. Yes. <laughs> necessarily. Yeah, I mean, we, we, had, a, we had a big yeah. debate about that in the last federal election. And uh, the the big stat that came out was was your average property investor yep. is on under eighty thousand dollars. Yes, we all know people who um, like Luke perhaps who mentioned that he's got twenty properties in affordable areas, uh, zero issues. We all know people who have super portfolios, but it's still the case that the average investor yep. 
uh, owns one property and, you know, that's 72% roughly of, of investors. Um, and it's an interesting point you raise about the, the freeze on um, mortgages with the bank. They're tacking it onto the back end. Now, that is an option with your uh, tenancy agreement or your rental payments. However, you were saying you can do that, but there is more pressure to actually negotiate. Yeah, so can I pop into the rent relief grant? Is that okay? No? So the way the rent relief grant works is it's a a payment of up to $2,000, which is a rent relief. Now, when they first announced that, I actually thought that was rent relief for the owner, meaning that because the owners reduced the rent, the rent relief would kick in and, and kind of reimburse them for their, their out-of-pocket expenses because they've dropped the rent, but it's actually an extra payment that goes to the tenants. So say your tenant is paying 50% of their income on rent and you've managed to negotiate it down, so they're paying yep. 40% of their income on rent. Now, the government says that 30% of their income on rent is where we want it to be. So... Basically, once you have entered into a rent relief process and you've negotiated how much uh, the tenant can pay, you've registered that with CAV, and then um, everyone's agreed. If we go to the next slide, it might be in there. I don't need it anyway. I can just keep going. (laughs) Um, But you enter it with CAV. Consumer Affairs Victoria then gives you like a, a registration number. The tenant can then apply for the rent relief grant. Yep. And what that means, it's an, a payment of up to $2,000. So if if your rent was 400 a week, you've dropped it down to 350 a week. So the tenant's getting $50 off with you and you're losing that $50 as a landlord. But the tenant's still paying $50 a week over what they should be paying under hardship, the 30% zone. Then they can apply for that $2,000. They will look at it and say, okay, well, if it's $50 a week over 26 weeks, that is uh, $1,300. So you will get $1,300 paid to your agency, which will be receipted as rent, which means that you then only have to pay 30% of your rent because the government has chipped in for that 5% that is over the hardship amount. So really the tenant gets the deduction from the landlord plus extra money paid by the government. So, yes, the landlord gets it, but it's the tenant's rent. It's going towards a new reduced amount, not towards the reduction that the landlord has given. Right, okay. A little bit different to the mortgage freeze, which seems to work perfectly well for the banks, really, in the long term. They just sort of tack that on to the end and uh, And, tackle you to the mortgage. If they are applying for rent relief as well, Um, a tenant has to be earning less than $100,000 a year as a family. They have to have less than $5,000 in their bank, not including superannuation, and they have to still be paying more than 30% of their income on rent after the rent has been reduced, and then they can apply for it. So um, there's a whole lot of parameters around it as well. It's not just put out my hand and get the money. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, I, I want to yeah. jump into some common questions that you get, and of course, there'll be some opportunities um, to ask questions of, of you as well. But before we jump into that, can you let us know what's on the horizon as far as, as changes to the Residential Tenancy Act? You, you mentioned that some of them have, have sort of already been um, snuck through. There was a lot of um, media around. I remember, I think it might have been Queensland about, you know, tenants are able, able to renovate the kitchen without yeah. approval and all of these sort of crazy stories yeah you know, at, a, at a marina or a koi piano shaped pond um can you give us the, the abridged version of of what are some of the key things that property investors need to know about yeah. the changes that have been the ones that have snuck in have um have been okay they're just about uh the way vcat looks at possession applications that has to be done in a reasonable and proportionate way. Um, uh, threats and intimidation endangerment has changed. Um, what else have they snuck in? Some of the stuff around family violence has come in already. Uh, break leases are now covered under Residential Tenancies right. Act and that a tenant can give 14 days notice once you serve a tenant a notice. Not that we can serve notices at the moment. Um, 
Yeah, so they're kind of yep. your main things that have come in early. Obviously, we can do five-year leases. Um, we can serve documents electronically to tenants, give them the red book, and rent increases every 12 months. So they're kind of your main one. Oh, and the pets. Pets is a good one too. So they're kind of the ones that have already snuck in. Um, yep. And then we've got about 120-odd still to come. So uh, they will be things... The, the way they are going to work with... Uh, rent rental payments is going to be more difficult for us to get to VCAT once the tenant is late with their rent. So basically they're going to have a five strike system every 12 months where it resets every 12 months. So they can be more than 14 days late with their rent four times in a 12 month period. And it's only on the fifth occasion that you can get to VCAT. Wow, now I'm not a mathematics genius without my Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. That's and look, a lot of weeks. Yeah, and this is if they pay. It just allows them an extra, basically, 14 to 20 days to pay their rent on top of that original 14-day period. So I don't love that one. Um, that's not a good one. They're removing our 120-day no-reason notice and they're restricting the end of our end-of-fixed-term tenancy notice. So... We're only going to be allowed to serve an end of fixed term tenancy notice on the initial lease term. So basically, if you have a tenant in a property for 12 months, you then re-sign them for the fur a further 12 months. You won't be able to end a fixed term uh, unless you have a legitimate reason like owner moving in, owner selling, change of use, demolition, repairs, renovations, those sort of things. Um, so it will be a lot harder to get people out yeah. of properties, I think. Um, I do think, though, that a lot of the changes to the Act that are coming are going to be better for us. Uh, it's going to... We, we work in a really grey legislation at the moment. Like, I know it's black and white, but because everyone has a different interpretation to it, it's hard for us to go to VCAT and say to someone, this is the result you're going to get, because it just does depend on the member on the day and everyone's interpretation of the Act. Whereas Consumer Affairs are giving us a, a series yep. of guidelines and fact sheets, which VCAT has to take into account. So we'll be able to go, this is the way CAV looks at this particular scenario and that's how VCAT will look at it, that's how we look at it, CAV looks at it. So we're all on the same page. So I'm hoping that... It, I think when it all settles, yep. it will be easier to manage properties and be more open and transparent as well. Fingers crossed. Yeah. How Luke raises a good yeah. Fingers crossed. Luke raises a good question. How 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 well advised are investors on this? Do people understand this in your experience? Yeah. I mean, I know your job is to train property managers, but. I'm guessing that um, investors aren't yeah. aware. Like, this is the first I've heard of the five yeah, the, system. I've studied it. So when it came out, I sat down and read it, and it's 500 pages. I don't know anyone else. I've met no one else in this industry that's actually read it, um, which is great because it keeps me in a job because I can train people, so I'm not complaining. But even the knowledge level of property managers, it's because it's very in-depth. And a lot of people don't understand it as well as what they should. Um, and I'm hoping that Consumer yeah. Affairs and VCAT provides a lot of training for people as well. But, uh, yeah, property investors don't don't understand. And they, they generally don't understand until there's an issue and then their property manager rings them and explains it. And then they go, oh, is this right? doesn't sound right. And they Google it and they look it up and they go, oh, it is actually right. So... Yeah, and there's even scenarios now that come up that I have to think twice about because you don't deal with everything every day. And I've been in the industry 21 years, so I've seen a lot of change. But there's even scenarios people ask me about and I've got to go, hang on, I've got to look that up because I haven't dealt with it before. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not something that property investors generally have a really good knowledge base. They trust their property manager to do it correctly. Yeah, and... While I launch another poll, I'm just interested in, in in taking the pulse of the room of whether people are worried about their tenant vacating or not paying rent or having any issues in in general. Is that is that an okay enough policy for a landlord to have that I have a property manager, it's their job, they should know it, so I don't really need to worry about it too much? Or do you prescribe to the notion that they should educate themselves to at least a uh, a yeah, I, we're, to we're going to be running a whole series of little webinars like this for our clients because we want to educate them. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I, I don't think yep. there's enough education out there for property owners. And I, I don't think you can ever know too much. Like I think you just keep learning as much as you can. Because the other thing is that um, you might have an excellent yep. property manager and that's great, but you might not. <laughs> so you want to make sure that the information that you're being given is true and correct as well. You don't want to just trust everything that they're saying because there's so yep. many intricacies. So you've got to have at least a basic skill level so that you know that what you're being told is correct. And we've got, you know, nearly two thirds of people worried about um, yeah. vacancies and the tenants not paying rent. Um, so obviously it's uh, it's pretty important yeah. to, to be up to speed on what's going on. I want to jump into some of the common questions and I'll try and um, look at the questions during the chat as well. Although we'll, we'll focus on that a little bit more in the, the Q&A. And I think you can mark your comment as a question, uh, if you can do that for me, because I'm uh, I'm getting completely distracted by all the bells and whistles of this program. That'll that'll help poor old me. Yeah. Um, starting with the first one, what what if I served a tenant a notice to vacate in February and the vacate date was in yeah, April? Yeah, so basically any out? notices to vacate that were served are pretty much void. Um, some of them could go ahead if it was something that would. Yeah, it, it was it was very difficult um, scenario, and we'd served quite a few notices to vacate that were taking effect in May, and they were pretty much null and void. So uh, we had to, well, some of the tenants moved, so we're like, okay, great, <laughs> we don't have to worry about it. But the ones that haven't. Yeah. They haven't. Um, we're now allowed to do what's called a termination application. So all of our notices to vacate have been removed from VCAT. And in order to get a tenant out now, we have to do a termination application. So you have to lodge with Consumer Affairs. Consumer Affairs will then um, give you a, a code. You then jump on the VCAT website. You put in your termination application. Um, you then wait for a hearing. And hearings are anywhere between kind of four to eight weeks wait time at the moment. So it's a long period of time. When you get your hearing, so say you're going for a termination mm -hmm. application for sale of the property, which is a 60-day notice. Once you get your VCAT hearing, which is done on the phone now, um, they will give you your uh, possession. So they'll say to you, yep, you can have possession of a property in another 60 days time. So it could be a month or two months before you nice. get a hearing and then they will tack on that notice period onto their tenant as well so we had one that was for sale of property um, it did take us six weeks to get the hearing once we got to the hearing they gave the tenant six um, 60 days notice plus postage and so we now have a date in the future two and a bit months in the future where if the tenant doesn't vacate the property we can purchase the warrant of possession and get them out that way but you will not get people out quickly in this period of time definitely not it's a long process and you've got to yep. start again with the termination application. Right. Yeah. With with the second question, this <laughs> seems like a very black and white one. My tenant refuses to pay, um, mm -hmm. but COVID's not the reason. <laughs> Just yeah. do you know? I don't know if you saw it. Rent. There was a um, um, there was a Facebook vigilante group, I'll call it, that started up called Rent Strike Melbourne, and. I'd <laughs> That was fun. I did, I did um, that. Anyway, they started this group and said, everyone don't pay your rent, you can't be evicted. Um, and then ScoMo did come out and say, well, actually, you know, you've got to pay your rent if you can pay your rent. And if COVID's not the reason, you can get evicted. And that's very clear in the legislation as well. If you can pay your rent and you're not, you will be evicted. So, again, we can apply for a termination application um, through uh, VCAT for that. Uh, again, we're waiting for long periods of time. To actually get those hearings and then they'll be given an extra I can't remember if it's 14 or 28 days to I think it's 28 days to vacate the property after that so uh, you're probably looking at the best case scenario as two and a half months to actually get a tenant out yeah wow and what happens to your lost income yeah. there? Is that a claim on your landlord insurance? Yeah, you so you can do a claim on landlord's insurance. Um, landlord's insurance, uh, if you've had cover prior to COVID, then you're pretty well covered. A lot of landlord's insurers have done re re 
yep. restricted covers since then, so they're not paying out so much for your rent. <laughs> for your rent. Yeah, so it's really naughty, hard. Naughty. Yeah, and look, at one point in time, insurance. insurers weren't even taking on new policies when this first hit. So, yeah, it, it, it is very tricky. But, yes, you can go through your insurance. You can also get debt collectors after 10 and afterwards. And you can obviously, um, what, what we do is we register a debt with the magistrate's court and get the sheriff to track them down for debts. So. Yeah. And... Yeah. Um, we talked about the third question on here, but I think it's it's well worth a, a refresh. If you serve a rent increase in February, which is due to take uh, effect in May, post the legislation changes. Bad luck. So we can revisit it, obviously, once COVID is finished, um, and we can increase the rent to market rate once COVID is over. Yep. All right. Um, if a tenant is suffering hardship, can they just... Yeah, they... Yes and no. <laughs> so if they are suffering hardship, they can break their lease at no penalty and give 14 days notice is the answer. Um, but they have to right. prove hardship. And when you're looking at hardship with a tenant, VCAT will also look at hardship against a landlord as well. So... If your landlord is in severe hardship because of COVID and so is the tenant, they're going to look at it as a balanced, you know, who is in the worst situation here? Who would suffer the most hardship if we allowed this person to leave or this person not to? Um, but the short answer is yes. If they can prove hardship, they can just leave with giving 14 days notice. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about the financial assistance that a landlord um Yeah, so that's you where you can get your land tax account? assistance, obviously. Um, you might be able to do an insurance yep. claim if a tenant has upped and left. <laughs> you can maybe claim insurance to try and get some money back that way. Uh, and then obviously your mortgage as well. But that's yep. there's very little financial assistance there for landlords. Yeah. And we've we've gone through the rent yeah. relief um, grant as well. Um, and if anyone's got some more questions on that, um, by all means, let me know. I'm about to jump into a question that was submitted prior to the uh, event, but yeah. um, I'll just go and have a look at the chat now quickly. Um, Chris has asked, uh, how do they work out if the tenant is able to pay their rent <laughs> if they're in their Yeah, that's a great question. Um Consumer Affairs Victoria have people that are doing this day in, day out. Uh, I spoke to someone at Consumer Affairs going back when COVID first hit and they'd received 9,000 email inquiries in however many times. So they were running pretty behind for a while. But I guess although we don't know exactly what they're, um, what they're looking for, they will know. So they basically just mediate between all parties and, and see what they think is fair and reasonable um and take it from there but they they're wanting to see people to end up paying around that 30 percent of their income on rent um, so they've got to obviously be able to prove what yep. their new income is in order to roll it backwards they've got to yep. substantiate it guillermo who uh i think <laughs> i actually nailed the the pronunciation of his name um that was a flu i'm i'm, I'm really i'm really happy um, maybe I've messed it up the second time, but he's back again and has, has asked, um, what recourse do I have if my tenant vacates following the proper procedures and there is debt owed to me from not paying the rent? So that would be first step. Your yep. And if you, um, if you, if you right. don't, then or uh, you want to take go down another path, uh, VCAT, so you get your VCAT order. You can then register the debt with the Magistrates Court, which is a really simple process to do. Um, and then once the debt is registered with the Magistrates Court, you can then decide which process you want to go down. So you can get uh, sheriffs, you can garnish your wages, um, you can put payment plans in place and, and summons for oral examination as well. There's about four options uh, and that's probably your best bet. And the good thing about registering debts with the magistrates court is it actually goes on the financial records um public record for that that tenant as well so it'll sit there for right correct and i do find that, that when that happens um 
we always have a conversation with our clients and say, you owe us money, we're happy to put you on a payment plan. If you're not willing to go into a payment plan, this is a process we're going to go down. Um, and we usually find that they will come to the party and go on yep. a payment plan and pay the debt because they don't want their their future <laughs> destroyed with their credit rating. Um, I have had a couple of tenants who yes. have um, uh, lodged bankruptcy when I've, I've done this. So I've lost in that in those couple of scenarios, but I, I'm I'm kind of very black and white. I'm of the opinion if someone owes money, they should pay it. So I track it down as far as I can. Yeah. Gosh, I guess uh, bankruptcy's a, yeah, a royal flush. Two people do it? that, and so one of them was just a young tenant, like a twenty-year-old, and he owed me about three grand. And I'm like, come on, mate, you're going to destroy your life. But yeah in my mind that he did that but anyway <laughs> <laughs> kamikaze tactics there um i'm going to jump into a question that was um before yep. um tonight just in fairness to someone getting in early then we'll get on to selena i think we've um yep. we've answered uh con's question um and that was a question from chris yep. so in Victoria, this is good, this is in your wheelhouse, if a tenant is claiming hardship, what evidence slash documentation must they provide to substantiate yeah. their claim? So we've covered off that a little bit, but specifically they've got an issue with the tenant has decided to reduce his rent by 50%, just mm. I guess they've come up with that on their own, without consent, refuses to provide any substantiation. Meanwhile, luxury home builder, investment portfolio owner, um, I'm picturing, you know, uh, an AMG Mercedes um, currently waiting to participate in second stage of a mediation process. So, um, well, he's already kind of in the mediation stage, and I'm, I'm assuming the mediation stage is through Consumer Affairs Victoria. So let's just say that that is. Um, mm -hmm. I would be definitely going forward with as much information as you can with Consumer Affairs. Um, show your own financial situation as much as you can as well because if you've had a situation where you're suffering hardship or you've had a change in your circumstance that that can uh, definitely help. So for tenants, you know, deciding to reduce his rent by 50%, well, if you can come to the party and say, well, actually, I've lost my job or I've taken a pay cut, then that can substantiate your hardship. Um, also, having the mm -hmm. information that the tenant provided to you at the start of the tenancy with his financial position, um, investment properties that he owns himself. So showing that, that the tenant is a well set up individual will paint a better picture as well, I guess. Um, it, it's really, it's a really interesting scenario and I'm, I would be actually really interested to hear the outcome because I know someone who's actually got to the fifth stage mm. of mediation, which is the dispute process and it's a very similar one to this and I'm hoping to hear the um, outcome of that one as well and that one is one where the um, the tenants are actually building their own house and they said that they uh, while they're building their own house they're renting which is fine but they said that they can't afford to build and rent at the moment they want to get the house finished so therefore they need a deduction on the rent so they can keep pumping the money into their build um, and I just thought that's they haven't had any loss of income at all. And that was what was amazing. They had no loss of income. Right. But because something happened in their investments, it, yeah, and I just thought, gee, it, it, there's no clear-cut clarity around how they do all this. It's just the person in charge of the mediation that is trying to get everyone to come to a, I guess, finalisation about what they agree to. But the, the one I was telling you about just then, that's gone to yeah. the fifth level where it's not mediation anymore, it's someone telling them what they have to do. So it's taken out of their hands. Right. Um, okay. But with a situation like this, Chris, I would absolutely go forward with as much evidence that you have about your situation and as much evidence as you gained at the start of the tenancy about the tenant situation. Because if they can't prove that they've had a change in circumstance, then they absolutely should not have to reduce their rent and definitely not by 50%. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's uh, let's let's <laughs> yeah, all yeah. Um, have our hopes and prayers with 
Chris on that one. Um, I'll try and stay in touch with him yeah. and, and see if we can get him to the other side. Um, and, you know, maybe he deserves a <laughs> bottle of wine for his troubles along the way. Um, we've got a question from Selena. Let me um, put this back yep. to your face there, Hayley. Um, not so much mine, but... What can you do? Um, this is a bit of a sneaky one. Could I say I am moving into the property, but then yeah. say a few months later, change my mind okay. and advertise so, the property for uh, the lease? <laughs> Hopefully that's a fake name. All right, I'll, I'll give you some. This is a good one. <laughs> um, okay. So you can do a termination application on the tenant saying you're moving into the property, absolutely. So you'd have to provide a stat deck at VCAT to say that you are moving in, the date you're moving in. Um, you then have to follow through for the purpose for six, months, from, for six months from the date the notice to vacate or the termination application was given, meaning that you can't put the property back on the rental market for a six-month period. If you do and you are found out to do that, then um, it is a potential of a penalty unit fine. Um, and one penalty unit's currently equivalent to $165.22. The multiple for penalty units on that division at the moment, I'm pretty sure is 60, which is just under $10,000. And once the new legislation comes in, they're actually increasing that multiple of that penalty unit to 150 times. $165.22, which is just under $25,000 fine. Wow, so you're saying do it now. So and right. your other option no, there is, say no, you not, got them out of the property, you then moved in for a little while, um, and then you decided to put on the rental market, you can apply to VCAT to get the property cleared to be relet earlier than that six-month date. Okay, so that's your other option, but don't run the risk right. of a tenant finding out you've done it before you're allowed and ending up at VCAT and getting fined. Yeah. Of course. Okay, beautiful. Um, Luke has asked, does the poor tenant list list well in Victoria? Um, are we talking about ticker or what? Yeah. So tickers use predominantly in country areas, yep. so regional areas and interstate, and NTDs use more yep. inside Melbourne, metro areas. So um, we use, yep. in um, our city agency, we use NTD in our country agency, we use ticker. Yep, okay. Um, if, but it's if that hasn't answered not your great. question, uh, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, not all agents use it right, and okay. it's very hard to list a tenant on there. So we use it for the public record search because it searches whether the tenant's got any, you know, convictions against them or if a previous agent's lodged a magistrate's order against them for costs. Um, so we use it more for that. But the actual yep. tenancy check on it isn't as good as it used to be because they changed the legislation around it about 10 years ago. Okay, let us know. Sorry, Luke, I called you Chris. Luke, let us know if that hasn't answered your question exactly. And if anyone that has a question that I've missed, please um, click the little circle and mark it um, with a Q and I'll sort of try and circle back there. Nirvana has asked, um, my tenant has refused to provide proof of prior income. The only proof yep. he provides is the job seeker payment uh, he received in May 2020. His job seeker payment uh, is only given to COVID-19 impacted people. We believe he's, all, uh, he's already in mm. financial hardship many months prior to COVID. Is that the question? <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I guess we'll take yeah. more of a uh, more of a comment. Um, but yes, Nirvana, if you've got any questions around that, please uh, please let me know. Yes, Luke, we've answered the question uh, with ticker. Um, I haven't got any little um, question, little things on there um, at the moment, but I'll have a quick look. Yeah, so line. just with do that you, rental one where the um, Nirvana said that the tenant was already in rental hardship, 
or not paying the rent properly prior to COVID. Um, if a tenant uh, is not adhering to the terms of a tenancy agreement, you can do a, you can do a termination application now as well. So if you believe that a tenant is not paying rent and they have an ability to pay rent, you can apply for termination application on that property. So just don't think that you can't evict because of COVID. They have to prove that they're affected by COVID not to be evicted. So, yeah. Yep. And the job um, picker... Yeah, so um, they, they sorry, can't I'll just sit finish. there and not pay rent. They, they have to be able to communicate and prove it. Otherwise, you can go for eviction. Yeah. Yep. And Nirvana sort of said um, the job seeker payment is only given to COVID-19 um, impacted people. Well, I guess like New Start merged yeah. in with job seeker as well. Um, so that makes the water a little bit muddier to say that if they're on job seeker that they must have mm -hmm. been impacted by COVID. They could have been on yeah. New Start and moved to job seeker. I believe, I don't work for uh, human resources. What is it? Centrelink? Uh, Department of Human Affairs, I'm not sure. Thankfully, I haven't been um, needing to, yeah. to join that queue. A lot of people have. Um, but, yeah, I think that will muddy the water a little bit. Peter um, had an anecdotal comment about um, having to deal with tenants who had vacated perhaps students from overseas and dealing with leftover furniture, loss of rent um, and contamination from cats and dogs. Um, this is a little outside of the, the pandemic, but um, do you have a process for dealing with? Yeah, uh, a lot of insurance policies aren't great on pets either. So it can be a really difficult one, but pets, mm -hmm. it's just a matter of cleaning up the property as best you can. Um, usually it includes replacement of carpets and often repainting as well. Um, I remember when I worked at an agency years ago, we had some tenants go overseas and just locked their two dogs in the apartment. We didn't even find them for about a week afterwards and they had no food and no water. Um, and you can imagine white carpet and, oh. you know, two little dogs running around and uh, the, the tenants just abandoned and left and it was horrendous. Um, we did manage to say special place in the hot downstairs so we, um, we did manage to save their pets which was actually really nice um but uh yeah it was Fantastic. a massive clean up of that apartment and um a lot of it was insurance but some of it wasn't um it's a matter of at the moment if there's goods left behind consumer affairs victoria aren't really doing goods left behind inspections anymore it's kind of put back onto agents to do them at the moment uh, so agents are having to go through and work out whether the goods are of value or not and then getting rid of goods and following a, a very lengthy process as well. So it's not a quick it's not a quick fix when you're doing any of these abandoned properties and goods left behind. It takes quite quite a few weeks to months to get it sorted. Yeah, okay. And um, just going back down the list, Nirvana's um, kindly marked a question as a chat. We've sort of touched on on this, but but maybe a good chance to sort of finish off because this, I guess, is the most common thing that we're going to have, and that's a, a tenant requesting a rental reduction but not providing any proof, either stopping paying rent or paying what they decide is appropriate without giving a chance to negotiate. So basically just day one, they're paying 75% or they're not paying at all, what is um, the first we just get on the phone. Got to so, and our tenants have all talked to us, which is yep. really, I, I think it goes down, comes back to the kind of relationship that you have with your clients and we have empathy and we want to help everyone, but yep. we also have a job to do. Um, so just explaining to them really clearly about what the process is. Um, there's a lot of information online now too. So we, we head them towards the Tenants of Victoria, Victoria website, which is formerly Tenants Union. Um, we give them the information from Consumer Affairs Victoria. So it's not us saying this is what you have to do. It's, you know, the government telling you what you have to do. And also telling them if they're willing to negotiate and work with us, then we can head them into the direction of trying to get that rent relief grant as well, because that will assist them further with the reduction in rent. So I guess letting the people know that we do have to work as a team. If they're not willing to communicate with us, then we will go down the termination application process or lodge it with Consumer Affairs Victoria and allow them to try and mediate the process for us. 
because I'm not going to let someone just sit there and pay what they want. They've got to communicate and come to a written agreement with us before we'll, let, we'll do anything because otherwise that's not fair to yeah. any parties. Of course. I yep. just want to chuck up another poll as well um, to sort of finish up. Where are you expecting your rent to be in December? So six months from now, post everything disappearing, you know, the, the rental freeze, um, the legislation changes. Interesting mm -hmm. to see um, what people's thoughts are there. Luke raises mm -hmm. a great point, um, love, empathy. And I think that's really, really important. Um, there are legitimately people that are suffering at the moment, both um, the tenants and the landlords and the greater community. I think if you approach mm -hmm. people with with kindness first, um, try and um, you know work something out, then most people are going to be reasonable. And where they're unreasonable, your property manager should hopefully guide you through that. And Selena, um, I was being a little bit unfair to you, um, <laughs> describing you as trying to do a dodgy. She's commented that. Um, my tenant has been quite unfair to me. I was just having a little bit of fun. Uh, it's, a, it's a legitimate question, but um, yeah, it was one of those uh, some ones that sounded a bit like a sneaky round the side sort of thing. Um, so we've, we've got 46% uh, of people saying neutral on the rent in six months, 53% saying down and, and yeah. nobody saying up. So it's a, it, it is a hard time. Yeah, look, our rent roll in Geelong now, completely unaffected. We are renting properties as quickly as we were, if not right. quicker. Um, we have had really strong rents. Uh, we're getting good quality tenants through our properties. We completely different to the Melbourne market, which is really interesting because I had a quite a large Melbourne rent roll a few years ago and I did sell it and I'm sitting there going, actually, I'm really glad I'm in Geelong now because I think my Melbourne one would have been hit pretty hard because the demographic change. Um, and the other thing, yeah. you've um, just so everyone understands, as property managers, we are doing so much work at the moment just to keep everything ticking over. It is the hardest time in real estate that I've ever seen. So if you have a good relationship with your property manager, send them an email and just say, hey, how are you doing? I really appreciate it because I know from the Facebook group that I, I manage, um, there's property managers that are just falling apart. Like the pressure that's on them at the moment to keep everyone happy is just incredible. So if you do have a really good property manager and you really like them, please thank them for what they're doing. Um, because just that one email saying you're doing a great job hanging there will brighten up their day, I can tell you, really does. Super, super important. And we've actually got a way in our business to help facilitate that. If you go to pamperapm.com.au, you can nominate them for a massage voucher and French champagne, and they'll be notified that you've done yeah. it. You can share some comments, which they'll get. I think now's the time to do that. It's a, it's a tricky time for people in, in that industry. Yeah. Uh, show the love, as Luke says. Hayley, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think that's a good time for us to, to wrap that up. If people are wanting to, to get in touch with you, they can look you up yeah, on Mitchell PT. Mitchell yeah. Property Training. Yeah. Yeah. PT, that's the best way to do it. But thank you, much, thank you very much for sharing your, your wisdom and your patience with us tonight. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for all the, the questions mm. and the participants um, today. Excellent. Thank and you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Bye.